Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Help us to come into your presence with the right attitude and disposition. Help us to know that we stand only by thy grace in the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are indeed great sinners. And if left to ourselves, we not only will live out our life in sin, but in eternity, we will still be sinful beings. Even in Revelation, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. What a horrible, horrible state in which to be. Shut up in our sins under your judgment with no escape. But oh my God, What joy, what blessingness we shall experience in that glory world beholding thy face. We don't know what that will be. And even some of the words that talk about it, we're still left in the dark. You have said that the saints will be unreprovable in your sight. Blameless. Holy. We long for that day when we shall be rid of sin. Help us as we live out our lives upon this earth to be overcomers by Thy grace. Now we ask Your presence as we continue looking into Your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. We discussed this morning pretty much in detail, or to some detail. Actually, we could have, uh, as you know, uh, uh, delved into the, uh, the subject matter far more than what we did, but we are sinners. 
period. We think of being sinners when we, uh, well, as James put it, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. In other words, uh, being the sinners that we are, if God were to leave us to ourselves, there's no sin but what we would do. There are some sins we think, well, I'd never do that. And we've lived long enough to know that uh, from our past history, there's things that's been in the past we would say, well, I'll never do that. That we find ourselves doing what we said we'd never do because we got put in a situation that uh, we didn't know anything about when we made our first statement. But the fact that we are sinners, we must also keep that or distinguish that from our sinning. The man that has the lying nature, as we were talking about some this morning, He may not tell a lie simply because of the being caught or his character being uh, soiled or something of that nature. Man might be a murderer by nature and want to kill folks, but he doesn't do it because of the penalty of the law. And we might say that as far as we know, you know, he's not a murderer because he hadn't done it. But if he has a heart of murder, then he's a murderer. Uh, having hatred without a, uh, a, a cause. As we saw from John, well, we didn't turn and read it, in Matthew chapter 5, says, He that hateth his brother without a cause is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life and things of that nature. So we want to make a distinction when, uh, that uh, we all have sin and we all sin, but we don't all sin in a way that we can put our finger on it. And so we have to keep that. But it says here in verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we pointed out this morning that the confession is saying the same thing about sin that God says. And so it's not if we sin, it's confessing our sins. And notice if as we confess our sins, it is plural and it's not sin in the abstract, God forgives us our sins. And we need to be clear at this point, we're not talking about guilt. <coughs> or we are talking, excuse me, we are talking about guilt, not guilt feelings. We're talking about guilt, 
not guilt feelings. For example, there's many people that commit crimes and they don't feel guilty about it. We live in a culture to where many stores do not carry an inventory simply because they don't want to be broken into and their product stolen from them. We've seen on, uh, on our news uh, where people have gone into stores and broken into jewelry cases and things of that nature and just walk out with all kinds of, of goods and uh, not only jewelry, but groceries. I mean, just everything. Uh, I remember somebody, I think they was in a Lowe's or at Home Depot or something, and they had basket full of, of wire. You know, just uh, all kinds of things. And they commit those crimes. And not only do they, they not feel guilty about it, they brag about it. Full of pride of what they have done. Well, they'll have their day in court. As well as all of the politicians and world leaders that we can't do anything about in that. But we... If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, too often people associate forgiveness of sins with emotions or feelings or feelings of forgiveness and some type of emotional concept. But it's not if we confess our sins, we don't feel feel guilty anymore. It's if it, it, is, it is if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us. I don't remember all of the dialogue and exactly how it all went. But I remember listening one time to R.C. Sproul talk about a woman uh, went to him and having trouble with forgiveness of sin, uh, of some sin. And uh, she said, and R.C. read this passage, I believe, 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to cleanse us, uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And she said, I have confessed it before many times. And so he read the passage again to her. And she said, 
and I think he read it two or three times, and I don't remember exactly how it all went, but he said, then you need to confess your sin of unbelief. She, she said, what do you mean? He said, well, the Bible says if you confess it, God's faithful to forgive it. But you, you don't believe God. You don't believe the Word. So you need to confess your, un, uh, your unbelief before God because you're not believing what the verse said. It's not a matter of whether you feel like you've been forgiven. It's a matter of what God says. And that's, that's what it, we need to be reminded of. We do not... Well, let me rephrase this. The just shall live by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. In other words, we live by faith. We serve God by faith, not by feeling. It does not say that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to bless us not to feel guilty anymore. It didn't say that. It's not talking about guilt feelings. It's talking about guilt. It's talking about the crime. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. Don't you like the faithfulness of God? God's faithful. He's not only faithful, He's just. To forgive us. Now, the reason we are forgiven is because of the blood of Christ. It is because of back in verse 7 again. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sins. Or all sin. But you see here, the thing about it is, it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin, and God forgives us because of the blood of Christ, not because we confessed. Now, it, it, it is true that he who does not confess his sins, we're talking about as a, in his, we're not talking about uh, maybe some child of God, one sin he forgot to confess and therefore God uh, uh, will never forgive him. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this way of life again. And if we confess our sins, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and it's by the blood of Christ that we're cleansed. And beloved, I want to encourage you that when you sin, 
to run immediately to God. A lot of times when we, let's say we get mad at somebody or something and just really pitch a ring tail fit, whatever that is, I've heard that all my life, but anyway, and we get to looking at ourselves and seeing how rotten and wicked and sorry we are. And we think, well, God's not going to hear my prayer. I'm just too much of a sinner. Uh, why would he? Why would he listen to me? Uh, I'm all time uh, wasting time. I'm uh, feeling sorry for myself. I'm uh, down in the dumps, and I got the mully grubs, and and all of this. And why would he listen to me? But the point is, he said, come. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. If we confess our sins, we saw this morning how sinful we are. And some of us can see certain things in our, <coughs> in our nature that you may not see in uh, in others, or or you see things in yourself that you don't see in others, and things of that nature. But though you are a sinner, there is deliverance in confessing your sins to God. And it says, not only that God is faithful, but He's just. I want to pause for here, here for just a second, or probably a little more than a second, naturally. Let's look at some of God's faithfulness. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. God's faithful. You may not be sometimes. God's always faithful. He's faithful in His promises. Look in Hebrews 11, verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself conceived strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged Him faithful who had promised. We don't hear that side of Sarah that much. Usually it's emphasized about the fact that she laughed in the tent. But here it says, 
Here this 90-year-old woman judged God faithful because he promised that she was going to return to the time of life and conceive and have a child. Well, actually at 89, she didn't have the child till she was 90. She judged him faithful. He's faithful in his promises. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 24, God, uh, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. What is it God's going to do? Look at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe God? Then you know what that means? God is going to preserve you blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well... I'm not so sure about that. I'm just, it doesn't matter what you are if you're a believer in Christ. God said He's going to do it. He's faithful. He promised it. He faith, He's promised. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom ye are called, were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, beloved, you didn't believe on Christ by accident. You believed on Christ because God was faithful to call you. Aren't you glad of that? In 1 Corinthians, uh, well, same 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Notice again. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Some of you, maybe I could say some of us, have gone through some very, very, very trying times. But the only reason we 
came through because God was faithful or God is faithful. And you know what, beloved? He's not going to put anything on you that you can't bear because He's faithful. He's faithful. Look also in 1 Peter chapter 4. The last verse, verse 19. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls unto Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. A faithful Creator. Second Timothy tells us that this faithfulness, Second Timothy chapter 2, in verse 13, that he's faithful in himself. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And obviously, Christ is equally faithful. I'll just give you these passages you can look up on your own later. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3, Hebrews 2.17 and Hebrews 3.2 God is faithful. But you know what, beloved? We've said it before, but we want to emphasize it again. He's not only faithful, but He's just. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our righteousness. The forgiveness of sins for the people of God is not done in an unjust way. God's just. It's done right. And that, that cleansing us from all sins that's found in verse 7 is a continuous action. That is, that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from sin by His justifying righteousness. And here in verse 9, the forgiveness is that in the subjective mood and is not speaking of a process, but a single act. He forgives us of that particular sin as we confess it. In other words, since the child of grace does not habitually practice sin, and we'll see that more plainly in chapter 3. 
This is speaking of a single act. Obviously, we are so sinful that we are uh, that we we don't see many of our sins. But here, the idea is more of a broken fellowship between a child and his father being restored. In other words, you've done something. You realize that uh, there's you feel distant from God, and you realize that you you've done wrong. And you've broken this fellowship with God. And we want this fellowship back. We do that by confessing our sins. Think about a parent-child situation. The child does something wrong. He knows that he, what he's done is wrong. And he knows there's a broken fellowship with his parent. And he goes back to the parent and asks forgiveness. The fellowship is restored. And the parent doesn't go continually beating the child over the head with what he's done. You enjoy that fellowship. Beloved God, aren't you thankful God doesn't beat us over the head? What a refreshingness that we have. I'm going to impose on your kindness again. I'm going to give a lengthy reading from Robert Candish. I thought what he had to say about some of this was really good. So, in order that I did not mess up what he was saying and not and and keep you from enjoying the fullness of it, I'll try to read it in a way that is refreshing to you. Quoting Candish, We open our heart to Him. We are always opening it. We spread out our case before Him, concealing nothing. We tell Him of all that is sad and distressing in our conflict with indwelling corruption, as well as of all our failures and shortcomings in our strivings after conformity to His law. We speak to Him of sloth, and selfishness, of worldliness and carnality, damping our zeal, quenching our love, making us miserably indifferent to the good work going on around us, and shamefully tolerant of abounding evil. 
on the subject of such experiences as these, we are coming always to confer with our God in the light in which He is and in which it is our aim to walk. We find in Him always faithful and just. Not indulgent merely, kind and complacent, bidding us to take good heart and not to do so much and not to be so much cast down but faithful and just in other words god doesn't say well that's all right he's faithful and just god is true true to himself and true to us so true to himself that to us all untruth in us becomes impossible. <coughs> it is not merely that I come to perceive in old sins a hideousness and an amount of aggravation that makes me feel as if I had never adequately acknowledged them in time past, but must, but must be ever repenting of them anew and getting them anew disposed of by their being laid anew on Him, who is the sin-bearer and the cross-bearer. Nor is it merely that new forms and phases of the ungodliness and selfishness and carnality of my heart, new shifts and windings of its deceitfulness and desperate wickedness, must ever be coming up and coming out to vex my quickening spirit, my quicken, excuse me, to vex my quickened spiritual sensibility and damp the ardor of my faith and love. <clears throat> excuse me. Both these sources of disquietude. Alas, too common. But above and beyond that, in my very walking as God's fellow, being the fellow of His Son, Jesus Christ, His fellow servant, fellow worker, fellow sufferer, fellow heir in His kingdom, as the Holy Spirit gives me an increasing sense and taste of what it is to walk with God, in His own light, as I seek to carry that light and Him with whom I walk in fellowship in that light into all the scenes and circumstances of my outer walk of faith and of the fluctuations of my inner life of faith. How is my heart troubled? Excuse me. Many fountains of bitterness are ever freshly flowing. And then in the world with its manifold cause that cannot be put aside and its troublesome questions of lawfulness and expediency, I am too often at a loss and almost at a stand. I may try to set aside such annoyances as not entering properly into my spiritual experience and to keep that, as it were, isolated and pure. I may think 
that when I go to commune with my God and my and Father, when I enter into my closet and shut the door, when I seek His face and wait for His salvation, I am to leave all my cares and troubles behind me on the threshold and meet Him in some lofty region of spiritual peace where sorrow and sin are to find no place. But I am deceiving myself. Did you catch that? He said, when I go... When I go into my closet and I think that I'm going to rise to some spiritual height and really be close to God since I've been praying and so on and so forth, I deceive myself. And I am refusing to trust my God and Father. So I am living, I am living, uh, I, so I am living Him the lie from such sin that as may himself evermore deliver me. In other words, <coughs> I'm, I'm not through quoting him, but he's talking about here, I go into my closet or I get down on my knees or I go to God in prayer and, when, and I think that if I'm doing that right, then I'm just going to be wafting away. My soul is going to be just just floating with God and so on and so forth, then I'm deceiving myself. It's not that a way. Sometimes it is, but generally not. <coughs> Let me rather taking Him at His Word, try the more excellent way of carrying with me always in the full confidence of loving fellowship into the secret place of my God, all that is upon my mind, my conscience, my heart, all that is harassing or burdening or tempting me, my present matter of care or subject of thought, whatever that may be, let me unbosom all my grief. Let me freely and unreservedly speak to him of what is uttermost, excuse me, what is uppermost in my thoughts. There may be sin in it or about it. There may be something wrong, some wound to be probed, some root of bitterness to be searched out, some offending right hand on the uh, or right eye, be it so. Still let me be uh, still let me open up all, let me confess all. Let me spread out my whole case, let me empty and lay bare my whole soul. Let me put myself and be ever putting myself thoroughly, nakedly, unreservedly into His hands. Surely I may rely on His dealing faithfully and righteously with me. Nor would I wish Him to deal with me otherwise. He may chasten me sore, but He will not give me over to death. He may rebuke and convince he may even smite and slay, but though He slay me, I will trust Him. 
I know that He requires truth in the inward parts. I ask Him therefore to lead me into all truth, into all the truth concerning myself as well as concerning Him, however painful the knowledge of it may be to my self-righteous feelings and however deadly to my self-righteous hopes. I am for no half measures now, no compromise, no concealment. I would keep back nothing from my God. I will not deceive myself by keeping silent about my sin. I will not make my God a liar. I will not do my God and Father so great a wrong as to give Him the lie by refusing to enter by refusing entrance into my soul to that word of His which gives light, even the light of life. I will confess my sins, knowing and believing that as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses uh, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin, so He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, Candace was saying, don't go to God trying to fool Him and trying to fool yourself. Just open, open it all up. Lance, lance the boil. And let all the corruption flow forth. Why? He is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful and just to forgive. But there's no promise if we try to hide our sins. There's no promise if we try to paint our sins as if they're not as black as they are. No. Confess them. Say, well, I don't know what, what I need to confess. Well, it goes on to say, if we say we have no sin... We make him a liar. Yes, you've got sin. But what is it? Ask him. <coughs> Have you ever thought about asking? Is that not what the psalmist did when he said, Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me? Say, so what a foolish question. We know there's wickedness. Yes, but what? It's once they say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. All right, you know you're a sinner? What? If you were to come up to me afterward and say, boy, you know, right, I know I'm, I'm a great sinner and I know it. What if I said, okay, tell me about it. What is it? <coughs> well, I'm just a great sinner. Well, what? What sins are you talking about? Well, I'm ashamed. Well, tell them to Christ. Tell them to God. 
Don't try to hide it. Don't say, I'm a great sinner. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I wasted time today. God, I got mad today. I envied. I this, that, or the other. You know your heart to some degree. You don't know it fully. None of us do. You know what your besetting sin is? And if we say, well, I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I, I really don't know what it is. You know, well, you're making God a liar. He said, you, you've got sin. Confess it. Confess it. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 46. This is Solomon praying. Talking about the people. If they sin against thee, then notice this. For there is no man that sinneth not. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that, that doeth good and sinneth not. Remember the quotes that we read this morning from Top Lady and J.B. Moody about how sin is? In closing, I'll give you one other quote. This time is from Arthur Pink. He said, Personally, we believe that both the forgiveness and the cleansing here include alike a judicial and experiential one, an objective and subjective. But lack of space now prevents our enlarging upon that statement. Admitting the point is a difficult one, not only to apprehend, but more so to express. Such is always the case when the finite mind is occupied with things that are infinite. In other words, what Pink was saying is, the cleansing of sin is judicial. That's by the blood of Christ. And yet the cleansing of sin is experimental or experiential. When we confess our sins and restore that fellowship with God, then we experience the cleansing in our souls. It may not come immediately. It may be a while. But thankfully, God chastens us that we might be partakers of His holiness, as Hebrews 12 tells us.
Well, Lord willing, next time we'll start on chapter 2. I warn you, I've been studying on that for weeks now. I'm still not through with it. (laughs) There's a lot in in this. A lot in, in, in John. It's the, this first epistle in itself. Let us pray. Father, you know the complexity <coughs> of our human nature and being partakers of the divine nature the old man and the new man. We don't know where to draw the line of demarcation. They seem to be so intermingled sometimes that we can't tell the one from the other. You know our frame that we are as but dust. And you know sometimes we come before you intending to pour out our hearts before you. And before it's over with, we may even be feeling sorry for ourselves. But there have been those times when it seems that we were blessed to Lance the infection. The infection of sin. And pour it all out before You. And rise up and walk away with that cleansing efficacy of the blood of Thy darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a foretaste of glory divine. What will it be like? Only you know. But what will it be like when we stand before you? Unblameable. Unreprovable. Faultless. To say the words seems so foreign. And yet, we anticipate it with all that we know how to. And can say with John, come quickly. Oh, come quickly. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Bless us with the art of confession. In Jesus' name, Amen.